Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Good. It's good to see so many of you out this morning. Thank God for that, because the topic that we're covering is extremely important. Um, Pastor Matt, did you mention the men's Bible study? Yes. You did. Okay, good. Praise God. Okay, we're starting a new series this weekend. It's, only, it's going to be two parts, but we're probably going to be going back to it in the future. I want to just jump right in. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it. I want to talk about it. Okay. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. I'm reading to you from the Amplified Classic Version. Amen? Amen. Amen. Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him, for he cares for you affectionately, and cares about you watchfully. Now, if you're familiar with this verse of scripture in uh, King James or New King James or NIV, um, it doesn't, those other versions, those other translations don't go into so much detail here. But for the sake of the series that we're starting today, we need to understand the heart of God. And I believe that this scripture here reflects the heart of our Father in heaven, casting the whole of your care. I know some people say, well, if God could just take half of the concerns that I have. No, no, no. He doesn't want half. Amen, right. He wants them all. Amen. Because he didn't build you to carry the worries and the concerns and the anxiety right. that many of us carry. He knows we're not structured that way because he created us. And he created us for us to be, what's the way I want to describe this? He created us in such a way that our responsibility is to hand it off to him not to try to carry it ourselves. Amen. Are you listening? Yeah. Cast the whole care, all your anxieties, all your worries. Well, Pastor, I couldn't live without any worries whatsoever. No, we're, we're, again, we're not made to carry these worries. So if you don't hand them off, you're just going to suffer for it, okay? Now, it doesn't mean we live without responsibilities, we have responsibilities, but the responsibilities that you and I are supposed to carry are the ones that he's graced us to carry. Amen. The ones we're not graced to carry are going to cause damage if we try to carry them. Amen. All right, I'm going to keep going. You jump in whenever you want. All your concerns once and for all on him. In other words, learn this. So you don't have to keep doing it over and over again. Just hand it off, hand it off, hand it off, hand it off. Oh, concern, this is a concern I'm not supposed to have? Okay, here. Oh, this is a concern about provision? Okay, here. Oh, this is a concern about peace? Okay, here. Oh, this is a concern about my family? Okay, here. This is a concern about my marriage? Okay, here. Amen. What we do is we wear ourselves out by trying to work things out that we were never created to work out. Amen. You, you're getting this? Yes. Okay, good. Now, one more thing I want to talk about here. For he cares for you affectionately. This isn't like a, a, a conveyor belt. He cares for us affectionately. That tells me that he knows exactly in detail the specific concerns that I have, the things that might trigger me that wouldn't even affect you. Are you listening to me? He cares. It's not just, okay, give it to me, give it to me, because that's what I'm supposed to do. No, he cares. Okay, are you getting this? And he cares about you watchfully. In other words, he's looking ahead. Remember, remember this great thing about our God. He knows the end from the beginning. 
Before you were conceived, he knew everything that you were going to face in your life. Now, I want to say this now because I will reemphasize it later. Just because he knows about it doesn't mean that he caused it. Because people would say, how could God let me go through this? No, no, no. He only knew you were going to go through it. Okay? He didn't cause it. Well, God sent him these things to teach me. No. The devil's sending you those things to wear you down. God knows ahead of time what you're going to be involved in, what you're going to be spending brain space on, and therefore he makes provision. Because he knows the steps that you're going to take. Your steps are ordered of the Lord. He knows what you're going to encounter. Are you getting this? All right. I'm going to keep going. I don't expect a lot, but just every once in a while, throw me, a, throw me an amen. <clears throat> amen. All right. So over these next two weekends, starting this weekend, next weekend, this is the topic we're going to be covering. This, this deal about anxiety. Okay. Okay. Now, let me tell you why this series popped up. How many remember about three weeks ago, I guess it was, maybe four weeks at this point, I don't remember, we had the all-campus worship weekend, where we brought everybody from both the other two campuses over, and we did Friday night, Saturday night. Remember? How many remember? Come on. Okay? You remember that. Okay? Now, something very interesting took place that weekend. Let me explain it to you, because this series is a result of what happened then. On Friday night, there was this very strong impression from the Holy Spirit that we needed to minister to people. What do I mean, what do I mean by minister? You know, we use this Christian language. What do I mean by minister? In other words, we needed to make space and make room and make time to pray for individuals that might be suffering from whatever. That was Friday night. It happened again Saturday night. It happened again two times on Sunday morning. When we sat down on Tuesday, because we have our staff meetings on Tuesdays, we kind of reevaluate everything that happened over the weekend from all the other campuses, plus here, plus we chart out what's going to happen for the rest of the week. We sat down, those of us that were leaders, okay, sat down, and we started to realize, comparing notes, that at least 50% of the people that came up for prayer Friday night, Saturday night, two times on Sunday, all had the same prayer request, anxiety, fear tormenting thoughts. You're like, this is not a coincidence here. The Holy Spirit is showing us, because according to the scriptures, those of us that are in the pastoral role, we're supposed to know the condition of our flock. And so the Holy Spirit is making it so clear to us, hey, there's a lot of people going through this stuff. Now, see, that'll be hidden sometimes. Now, unless the Holy Spirit shows you, you won't know why. Because you all came together this morning smiling to church. Hi, how are you? And so from the outside, from the outside, it could appear like everybody's fine. But how many of you know you can't go by the outside? Amen. You got to know by the spirit what's going on. Amen? Amen? So we thought, okay, well, this is our natural next step. As soon as we can, which would be the weekend after Easter, okay, we'll address this topic, okay? Now, judging from last night's service, we're hitting it on the head here. A lot of people got impacted last night. So, if you look up anxiety in a dictionary, its synonyms are fear, uncertainty. Man, if that speaks about this day and day and age that we're living in right now, I don't know what other word you can come up with except for uncertainty. You don't know from one day to the next what you're going to be dealing with. Worry and nervousness. Now, listen to this one here. Okay, we're establishing some basic things here, right? 
We're good? We're all on board? Anxiety is worry or fear, listen to this, that gets in the way of doing life. I'm going to say it again. Now, let me tell you something. There's two topics that I can talk about for hours because of life experience. Number one is this, anxiety. From the time I was an early teenager until I was probably 28, 30 years old, I got saved at 27 years old, just a couple of years ago. <laughs> so listen, I suffered with this stuff to the point at 19 of making an attempt to take my life, okay? It almost happened again at 27 years old, all right? I know what I'm talking about when it comes to this kind of stuff. I, I see, I, the Lord really gave me a lot of insight when I first got born again because I don't know how I could keep on living if that situation didn't get resolved. So this topic here, and the other one, thank you, hits close to home. And the other one is on finances because we've been through bankruptcy, we've been wiped out, we know what it's like to trust God, we know what it's like, like Paul said, we know what it's like to be abased, and we know what it's like to abound. Amen. Abounding's a whole lot better. Amen. Okay. So these are two areas where I, we could do a 10-week seminar to walk people through these kind of things. My wife and I are very capable of sitting down with somebody and letting them know there is life after bankruptcy. Most people think that's the end of the road. It's not, okay? And a lot of this gets tied in because if you have financial problems, it will trigger this kind of stuff. Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You might have heard of somebody. Maybe you haven't had any financial problems, but you might know somebody who's had financial challenges, okay? It'll trigger anxiety. It'll trigger panic attack. It'll trigger the shame. It'll trigger all of those things. So they're very much interconnected. But let's go with some basics here. Okay, anxiety is worry or fear that gets in the way of life. It is not just like a casual little butterfly in the stomach. No, it's the thing that attacks you and causes you to now start making plans for backup. But what am I going to do? You, you get an invitation to go someplace and you start thinking in your head, okay, if it's only an hour, I can probably do it without freaking out. If it's two hours... I might have to look for an excuse. And so like I would do with my wife in the early days when we first married, we would have signals. And I would say to her, if I say to you, it's time to leave, it's time to leave. If you hesitate, you're walking home. Now, I wasn't doing that to be Mr. Tyrant. I was doing that because it was life and death to me. Because if anybody here knows what I'm talking about, being hit with a panic attack, when it hits you, it usually goes from zero to full-blown in a matter of seconds. Okay? So it's one or two things. Either you're going to get up and leave when I say or risk me vomiting all over the place. I would get massive... Ma Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Am I all by myself? Massive headaches where it would feel like somebody would hit me in the back of the head with a two-by-four. Okay? And even then, I didn't feel too safe. But yes, yeah. You, so, so what I'm saying, I'm bringing this out. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I hope that you're not taking it that way. But anybody who's even been slightly affected by these kind of things, you know what I'm talking about. I would imagine that most of the ER visits that people 
get or more for panic and anxiety and everything else. And now you go there and they're going to keep you for, for, for 24 hours because now they've got to keep you under observation. Because God forbid if you really are having a heart attack and you drop dead in the parking lot, then they're responsible. So now you've got the anxiety on top of the anxiety because now when you get anxious, now you're thinking, okay, okay, yeah, but if I go to the hospital, they're going to keep me and I don't have to. So now you've got anxiety on top of the anxiety attack. And so now you start planning in your head, well, maybe I'll just go to a walk-in clinic because they probably won't keep me there. So this is what I'm talking about. When you find yourself making all kinds of plans because of your fears and anxiety, it's, too, it's gone too far. It's gone too far. Are you listening? Anxiety can show up in physical ways. Again, panic attacks, heart palpitations, sweating, trembling, sleeplessness. When you're struggling with anxiety, you always feel like peace is just beyond your reach. And we should not be dealing with this kind of stuff. Now, listen to me. When I said that, understand what I'm talking about. I don't say that statement because I knew what it sounded like when I was on the other end. Well, we, you shouldn't be going through that. Uh, uh, thank you. I know that. But that doesn't help me to hear that. Because all I'm hearing is it's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not a good Christian enough. You understand what I'm saying? So now you're giving me agita on top of the anxiety. And now I'm suffering from guilt and shame and everything else and insecurities because now that statement, although it might be from the right heart, is not speaking the right thing to me. Is anybody getting this? I don't have time for that, please. Thank you. I appreciate it. I got too much to cover this morning because I only got two weeks for this. So here's the good news. You ready for some good news? The good news is feeling anxious, fearful, worried, or uncertain doesn't surprise God. He knows our heart before we say or do anything. Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read to the New Living Translation. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. That brings comfort. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel. That was another thing that would bring anxiousness. Or when I rest at home, you know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. I love that he put Lord on the end. Because no matter what, what's going on here, he's still Lord. No matter what heart palpitations, no matter what nausea, no matter what headaches, no matter what trembling, no matter what crazy thoughts, thoughts of escape, thoughts of I got to get out of here, he's still Lord. He's still Lord. Now listen to me. You're sitting here right now, and the majority of you are thinking about somebody that you know has these kind of episodes. You need to get them here next weekend. You need to get them to listen to this. They can go on YouTube. They can listen to the message. Why? This is crippling Christians. It's crippling us. The Bible tells us in the book of Daniel that one of the tactics of the Antichrist in the last days would be to wear out the saints. One of the greatest ways to wear out a person is to get them to suffer fear, 
anxiety, nervousness, all of these emotional things. It wears you down. That's why most people, when they go through stuff like this, all they want to do is sleep. And we're going to find out later that that's one of the weapons that God gave us, okay? God knew that fear was going to be common to mankind. Not because he caused it, but because he knew what sin was going to cause in the life of a human being. Understand that. Because if you start entertaining the thoughts, well, God made me this way, and God made Stop that garbage, will you? God made me this way. God, no, no. God did not create anybody this way. As long as you think God created you that way, you're going to be resistant to resisting the fear. Because you're going to think, well, this is just who I am. Well, pastor, this is who I am. You know, it's just, just been this way. My mother, my mother, God rest her soul. I'm glad she's in heaven because if she would hear me now talking about this, you'd why do you talk about me in your sermons? It's not true. <laughs> no, it is true. She would call us on the phone. First question, did you eat? No, ma. No, ma. We're starving here because ever since I left your house at 20 years old, I haven't had a good meal. Well, say, but it's just a mother. No, it's fear-based. It's poverty mentality. Of course we ate. Do I look like I haven't eaten? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Has another subtle one. Call us when you get home just in case. Just in case of what? Are you listening? Now, if you're doing that to your kids, stop it. Let him text instead. But you understand what's behind this? It's fear-based. Fear-based. From the time we're little kids. Okay, I grew up in a city, in a city, not the city, thank God. City atmosphere. Be careful. Watch out. Where are you going? Are you going to that neighborhood? Oh, you better be careful. Watch when you cross the street. Now, of course, what are we, idiots? Am I going to go step in front of a truck? But what's the bottom line motivation? Fear. Don't talk to strangers. Okay, we need that. But not to paralyze our children. It's gotten to the point now, I see it with my grandkids. They're going to go outside to play, make sure somebody's watching. Why? What is there like? Is there like helicopters hovering over us that are going to snatch your kids? Okay, granted, we're living in a crazy world. I understand that. But it doesn't help when we instill fear into our children. Then we wonder why. And here's the other one. Okay, and if you're doing this, stop it immediately. You might have a couple of kids in your family, and now what happens? Well, so-and-so, they're a little sensitive. They're, they're nervous. So now you start making excuses for the conduct of one of the children, not because you're con- forgive me, I'm going to say it, not because you're concerned about the kid, but you're concerned about the reflection on you because it's your kid. Are you listening? Be very aware of the things that you're imparting into your children, into your grandchildren. Grandparents are worse than ever. 
because you think your kids are idiots that they don't know how to raise kids. And not that they haven't given us any evidence along those lines. Don't you dare tell any of my kids that I said this. Well, the doctor said, yeah, okay, what did the doctor say this month? Because 20 years ago, what they're telling you now was what they told us to do 20 years ago. Amen. Now, all of a sudden, it's no good, okay? Now, you can't give, the, can't give the baby water until they're six months. What are you talking you, Even a plant can't stay six months without water. <laughs> Everything in our society is intentionally creating fear. Yes. Fear. Don't put them on their stomach. Well, last year they were on their stomach. Now this year, no, don't put them on their stomach. Now you got to put them on their back. But 10 years ago, we were told not to put them on their back. So which way is it? You see what I'm talking about? What is my point? I'm not up here doing a comedy skit. What I'm saying is this. You can't depend on the world to block you from fear. You've only got to depend on the word of God and the nature and character of our Father who loves us affectionately and watches out for us. Amen. You listening to me? Amen. So let's, again, this is all introduction, so you better pay attention, please, because I can't repeat all this. Fear, let's talk about some basics now. Fear, anxiousness, worry, uncertainty, torment were nowhere to be found until sin entered into the human experience. In other words, God never intended for us to experience these emotions. What are the emotions we're supposed to experience? Love. Love. Peace. Joy. Joy. Peace. How about, how about courage? How about boldness? Yeah, we're fed all the garbage that wants us to... Just, I'm just a weak old worm in the dust. Well, get out of the way because I'm going to step on you. Amen. Boldness. Is that not an emotion? Of course it is. Courage. Confidence. If we listen to this world, we'll all want to go home and shoot ourselves. God originally created a very stable, very safe environment for mankind. That Listen, in the garden, there was no sense of insecurity. Man, when you can walk around naked and you don't even realize it, especially as you get older, <laughs> you have got to know that you are in a very stable relationship. Amen. There's no insecurities. There's no lack. There's no concern. There's no worry. There's no anxiousness. I'm not going to have anything to eat tomorrow. None of that was there. There was no spiritual need. There was no soulish needs. Adam and Eve's souls were at peace until the enemy came in and started planting seeds. God just doesn't want you to be like him. You're already like him. But the seeds come in and they get planted. And then we start speculating in our minds, and we start coming up with pictures. And then we start talking about the pictures that we developed in our soul. And once we start talking about it, our body that doesn't know any better, because it's like a, a marionette, starts acting and reflecting and responding to the pictures that you created in your mind 
that 99.9% of the times are not even true. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. I'm talking about basics here. Let's go. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, why is that in it in there? I look at a cupcake, and I don't go, that's going to make me smart. <laughs> You're listening to me? Come on. Think about it. What? what do you mean, make me wise? Why would I think I need something to make me wise unless I've been listening to a lie that I'm stupid? That I'm not enough. That I'm not smart enough. That I don't have enough education. So this tells us what the enemy was really lying to her about. So she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Because he must have been fallen for the same lies. Next verse. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew. In other words, they acquired wisdom that they did not have before. Now, watch this now. When I say the word wisdom, you think good stuff. But there are some things we don't need to know. Why? I don't need to deal with those pictures. How many times have I had to sit with couples where there's been adultery involved? And one or the other would say, I don't want to know all the details. I don't want to have to live with those pictures of you doing this and that and the other thing with that other person. So that's knowledge, right? But it's not practical. It's not wise. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Why does it say fig leaves? Because traditionally, we say, what kind of tree was it? Come on, it's not a trick question. What do most people pick? You see artwork, what do they picture? An apple tree. Obviously, they grab the closest thing to them. And then the other thing, how much are you going to cover with an apple leaf? How big is an apple leaf? So they, so they grabbed whatever was closest to them that was going to do the job. Fig leaves. Okay? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves what? Coverings. Next verse. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So this can't be the first time. They must have recognized, here he comes, because he's... He's doing this every day now. At a certain time of the day, God would show up and they would hang out together, have fellowship together, okay? They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the present. Now, look at how stupid. They, they claimed to have gotten wise, but they got stupid. You're going to hide yourself from God. Where are you going to hide? He knows everything. He sees everything. So instead of getting smarter, the wisdom they tapped into made them foolish. And that's why you have so much intellectualism in our society, and they're idiots. We can go home now, right? And they hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? I heard your voice in the garden, say this with me, and I was afraid. 
And I'll guarantee you before God, when we get to heaven, let's go to Adam's house. Because I guarantee you, that's the first time that word came out of his mouth. Afraid. Had never experienced fear before. Imagine how traumatic that was. Experience an emotion you've never felt in your life. I, w- I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? In other words, what wisdom did you tap into? Yeah. You didn't get that from me. And so if we can only realize the thing about the character and nature of our Father in heaven, he never robs you of your dignity, no matter how degenerate, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter how filthy you've become, he never ever robs you of your dignity. So he's saying, you didn't hear from me that you were naked. Where did you get this from? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Now, let's stop there. What should his response have been? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I blew it. I know what you said. I know what you told me. I know that you said the day that I eat of this, I shall surely die. I'm sorry, I got tricked. Think how different things would have been. What does he do? He reacts like a fool because he tapped into knowledge and wisdom that he had no business tapping into, okay? Then the man said, the woman who you gave me. So now, oh, so now it's my fault God's going. (laughs) Typical, right? Typical. Very typical. We did it to our parents. It's your fault. You made me this way. You raised me this way. If you would have did this, if you would have did that, if you would have spent more time with me, if you would have gave me more money, if you would have did this, yeah, continue the list. Keep going, because I'm not listening. And so what do we do when we take that attitude? We stall our recovery and stall our healing because we're not willing to take responsibility for ourselves. Then the woman said, you, uh, he said, the woman you gave me to be with, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Yeah, but she wasn't the one that God spoke to. He was the one that God spoke to. God gave him responsibility. Next verse. Then the Lord said to the woman, you notice that he talked to the man first? Who ate first? The woman. Who did God speak to first? The man. Why? It was his responsibility to teach his wife. It was his responsibility to guard her. He should have jumped in and stepped on the serpent's head when it first started talking to her. What does she do? She goes after the animal kingdom. God says, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Then now it's the snake's fault. You know what he did to the snake. Now you're going to crawl on your belly. Let me ask you this question. If the punishment was crawling on your belly, then obviously he didn't crawl on his belly until that, that moment. Obviously, snakes didn't look like they look like now, then. You see it? So not only does this have a cataclysmic effect on mankind, it even affected the animal world. Massive change. Massive That's why we're going to be so blown away 
when we're restored 100% spirit, soul, body, everything, because it's going to be so different. Because nothing in this life right now, nothing on this planet right now, nothing in our souls, nothing. The closest we can get is our born-again spirit, which, let's be honest, we have limited access to. Because our soul, the stinking soul, gets in the way all the time. The soul is what throws obstacles between us and even our own spirit. And that's why everything in the New Testament, in the epistles, deals with the soul. To get that stuff out of the way so we can hear clearer from our spirit, because our spirit is where the Holy Spirit lives. Amen. You getting this? Yes. Pastor, why are you spending all this time on this point? Here's why. If you think that it's natural for you to experience anxiety, fear, torment, all these things, panic attacks, all the physical things, you're not going to fight it. But if I can get you to see it as an enemy, then maybe you will stir yourself up enough that when you start feeling the beginnings of the next cycle, you'll rise up and you'll fight. You'll block it. You'll, you'll neutralize it. You'll pull the plug on it before it gets started. Amen. Now, it may take a little while. All right. All right, let me see. Where do I want to go? Anxiety is not our identity. I want you to understand that. Now, there's some of you sitting here that, thank God, you've never had these problems. But at some point, you may find yourself in that situation. If you live long enough, you're going to experience things. Or you may have somebody in your family. Or you may come across somebody at work. Or you may, you may have a friend or whatever. So sooner or later, you're going to meet somebody that's dealing with this kind of stuff. And if you don't know anything about it, you can feel hopeless in trying to help that person. And listen to me, please, on behalf of anybody that's ever, that you're ever going to come in contact with, the worst thing you're going to be that you can say to that person, oh, it's all in your head. Oh, that makes a big difference. Thank you. I'm glad you gave me that insight. That makes me feel a lot better. It's all in your head. These are the stupid things we say when we, don't, when we feel helpless, when we don't know how to help somebody. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one pursues. Say this with me nice and loud. One, two, three. But the righteous are bold as a lion. I don't know of too many lions that would have panic attacks. They give panic attacks. Now, why would God make this statement about us if it was his will for us to be fearful and anxious? It's not. It's not. Why would Philippians 4, 6 say, be anxious for nothing if he wanted us to be anxious for everything? Are you getting it? Is this settling in? Detach yourself from what you're experiencing. Okay. Uh, I want to jump to certain parts that I think are, are more important this morning. Here's another thing we have to deal with. Is this helping anybody today? Yes. Just one, two, three, four, five. The rest of you want to go? Or? Okay. Listen. 
What I'm going to say, I'm saying from personal experience, and what I'm going to say, I'm saying from the heart that wants to see people overcome these things. The thing that stops people from receiving their healing and receiving their deliverance is pride. It's pride. Some of you are sitting here right now and you know exactly what I'm talking about. All the symptoms. You, you've gone through the cycles and you're doing your best to sit there and look very confident because you don't want anybody to know that you go through these kind of things. Now, I'm not saying let's all have a pity party and cry on each other's shoulders. <coughs> what I'm saying is it's possible for you to become so good at that that you literally convince yourself I'm going to go back to something that I've said so many times whenever we've had an invitation for people to come and receive prayer. God has set things up in his kingdom in such a way where it requires vulnerability and transparency for us to receive anything from him. See, the enemy who instills these things in us to begin with then throws it back in our face and say, what kind of person are you? Look at you. You're falling apart. You're a basket case. Everybody's going to think you're, you're, you're just losing it and you just... And so now when you do have a breakdown or meltdown, anything like that, now the first emotion you're going to experience after that is shame. What are people going to think about you? And so that blocks people from receiving. Now the antidote for that is love. You've got to be so saturated. If you're going through any of this stuff, I don't need you to raise your hand. I don't need you to grunt. I don't need you to spit. I don't need you to do anything. You know who you are. If you are susceptible to these kind of things, okay, go and saturate yourself with the knowledge of the love of God. First John chapter 4. Again, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because it's a little bit easier to, to, to kind of digest, okay? We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. We have put our trust in his love. We have put our trust in his love. God is love. So if I'm putting my trust in his love, I'm putting my trust in him because he's love. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Keep going. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Well, Pastor, I thought Romans chapter 5 tells us that the love of God's been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. Yeah, it's in there. And the Holy Ghost is in your spirit. But do you every day communicate with the Holy Ghost? Theoretically, we want to say yes. But then there's obstacles in our soul that cause us not to hear from him. And there's obstacles in our soul that cause us every once in a while to think, Am I loved? Because then the devil will go, well, if God loved you so much, you wouldn't be going through this. No, it's not about God, how much he loves me. It's about how aware am I about his love. I'm going to say it again. It's about how aware am I about his love. Because the more aware I am of his love, the less of a hold this fear, anxiety, torment is going to have on me. Are you listening? Yes. 
As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. It matures. It becomes seasoned. It becomes second nature. I don't have to, at some point in my life, I don't have to anymore try to convince myself how much God loves me. I know now by experience that he loves me. Because the last major, this is what you can think, the last major heart attack, panic attack oh, that I thought was a heart attack turned out to be nothing because he loves me, he's protected me. So when the next time it comes like, oh, 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 what's going on, what's going on? The jaw, the shoulder, the agita, oh, now be careful, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but be careful what pictures you will out of form, okay? I had an aunt, actually a great aunt, my mother's aunt. From the time I was a little kid, I remember her, every time she'd go to the doctor, she'd come and go, bet you I have cancer, and she'd go like this. What, look, she'd go like this, I bet you I have cancer. But 20, 30 years later, guess what? She had cancer massive tumor here that they could not operate on. And I, I thought to myself, this is crazy. That is the spot she always touched every time she said, I bet you I have cancer. And mind you, she had no symptoms. No symptoms. But she began to speak on the picture that she formed by thoughts, suggestions. Are you listening? But be careful when you talk about your spouse, your, your, your relatives. Oh, they're just like so-and-so. Be careful when you do that. So, so we will not be afraid. Why? Because our love is growing more perfect on the day of judgment because we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Now, that statement should trouble us a little bit unless we understand it because most of us would say, I'm not living like Jesus in this world. What that's telling us is in God's perspective, as far as God's concerned, he sees us like Jesus on the earth. Amen. That should bring us comfort. That should boost up my confidence. Amen? Amen. Yes or no? Yes. Am I just talking to myself here this morning? Okay. Next verse. Such love has no fear. What love? Such love. What love? The love, God's love, but watch this now. Watch. This isn't about God's love. This is about our awareness of God's love. Amen. Our love grows perfect. As we grow in our awareness, what happens? The fear loses its grip on us. Because let's face it, all of those thoughts, the symptoms, exist because you're entertaining the possibility that God's going to take his hand off your life and you are going to drop dead. Are you listening to me? If God was in person, just stand up and go, don't make that connection. And we understood once and for all, anytime a symptom would come, go, it must be gas. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Once you remove that sword from hanging over your head, you're like, All right. For if we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. In other words, our love is immature. It's unseasoned. We haven't perfected it. 
We haven't, we haven't allowed our soul, watch this now, listen to me. We haven't allowed our soul to come to the conclusion, he loves me, bottom line, that's it. Now your spirit knows that. As Christians, we don't have spiritual problems anymore. Any deal, anything you're dealing with in this life is not coming from your spirit. It is your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. It's a place where you make up decisions. It's a place where you evaluate all of your senses and everything that you're experiencing here in this natural world. <clears throat> Are you getting that clear? Yes. Make that distinction. Because you see, your spirit has been sealed by the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's perfect in God's sight. It's your soul that you've got to work on. I just need to become more spiritual. No. 99% of the stuff in the New Testament is dealing with the soul. Amen. Forgive. Love one another. Don't hold any grudges. Stop gossiping. Stop using filthy language. Those are not spiritual things. They're soulish things. Amen. Are you getting this? Yes. All right. You ready for the message now? You got to defeat this thing. You and I need to be intentional about allowing God's love to saturate our souls so that we defeat this tactic of the enemy. Fear is a tactic of the enemy. And what is he trying to get you to do? Fear is the enemy's attempt to get us to sabotage our own lives. He can't touch you if you don't let him. So he's got to look for a way for you to lower the guard. He's got to look for you to open up a window, open up a door, so that he has legal right to come in. You listening to me? God told Adam, guard this garden, protect it, take care of it. Keep the snakes out. The devil could not directly attack Adam and Eve. He got them to lower the guard. He got them to open up the gate to the garden. And they sabotaged their own lives. And in doing that, they sabotaged ours. And so now we follow the same thing. Some of us, God's, God wants to use, God wants to put great ideas into your heart. But because maybe something you tried didn't work the first time or the second time or the third time, now you've got a fear of failure. So God could be standing there with all of the provision, all of the strategy, all of the wisdom, all of what it takes to, to launch this phenomenal thing that's going to change millions of people's lives. And you go, well, what if? And what if? And what if? Can I tell you something the Lord spoke to me when I was in Bible school? Knowing that I was, I was going to start this, of course, no idea what it was going to become. Trust me, no idea. I've never experienced anything this big in ministry. Okay, it was never part of my background. This is what I heard as we became closer to the reality. You were not my first choice. But I couldn't get anybody else to do it. Well, that makes me feel good. But, but listen, you say, well, God would never speak anything. Oh, no, no, I understood what he was saying. 
Don't make the mistakes that others did. I'll make my own mistakes. You listening? I can't tell you how scared to death I was to launch this. Up until the night before our first service, I was still, dear God, I don't know if I can do this. That was September the 13th, 1997, Saturday night, 10 o'clock. I'm walking for, from our bedroom to the kitchen in the house we were living in. And as I'm walking through the hallway, trembling on the inside, I felt like somebody came up behind me and threw this big, fuzzy, warm, like a bathrobe. And I literally went. And my wife was in the kitchen. I walked in and went, I could do this now. I could do this now. Literally felt the, the mantle, the anointing to pastor. So don't do that, please. I don't have time for that. Please, thank you. I appreciate that. But that's, and this is the point I want to come to next. But I got to tell you the story first. And then we'll see the principles involved. First Kings chapter 19. How we doing? Can, can you give me like eight minutes? Eight? You're going to give me eight? You're going to give me eight? That's 16? Listen closely. We've got to go through this fast, but I can't let you leave without this. Then Jezebel, when, you, when we say the word Jezebel, you should do like they do for Purim. When they mention Haman's name, what do you do? Boo! Jezebel. Dun, 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 dun. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, saying, let the gods do to me more and, and you also, or whatever. In other words, God should let happen to me what Elijah did to her prophets, which we're going to go back to chapter 18 for that. So that the gods do to me more and more also, if I do not make your life as one of them, in other words, I'm going to kill you within the next 24 hours. What did Elijah, stop there. What did, now go ahead, go to, go to the next verse. No, never mind, don't go there. <laughs> I'm trying to be strategic on how to do this because I've only got a few minutes left here. What did Elijah do that prompted Jezebel? I said Jezebel. Dun, 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 dun. What did Elijah do that prompted Jezebel to send a messenger to say to Elijah, you're a dead man in the next 24 hours? Well, you go back to chapter 18, which I hope that you'll listen. You'll go, uh, go read it when, you're, when you have your free time. Read chapter 18, 19. Chapter 18, Elijah is disgusted with the nation of Israel. Many of them got caught up in idol worship. So he calls all of Israel. I don't know how many came, but good multitude. And he says, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? If Baal is God, go worship him. If the true God is God, then worship him. And he builds two altars, one for the pagan worshipers and one for the true God. You guys, most of you know the story. All right? And, they, and he gives the opportunity to the idol worshipers to summon their God first. They build an altar. They put wood on it. They, sack, they, they slaughter a, a bull, put the, put the flesh on there, 
And they, for hours and hours and hours, they're hooping and hollering, dancing around this altar, cutting themselves, okay? Cutting themselves, cutting themselves, which should tell you where that stuff comes from, okay? Cutting themselves, okay? So be very aware what you're dealing with if you deal with somebody, okay? All right, and, and this Baal never answers because he's not the true God. At the end of the day, Elijah gets up, says a very simple prayer. Lightning comes down from heaven and destroys the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and he had them soak the altar three times with gallons and gallons and gallons of water, so much that it filled up a trench around the altar. It all gets foom. And then the people, the Israelites, fall on their face and declare, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And then Elijah goes, get all the prophets of Baal, 450, brings them down to a creek and slaughters every one of them. Now it's 24 hours later. Go back to verse 1 in chapter 19. Now, now you understand why Jezebel sent the messenger? Because the 450 prophets are on her payroll. She's shelling out to support all 450 of these, page, these prophets, okay? You getting the picture? Then Jezebel sent the messenger to Elijah. Why? The same Elijah who slaughtered 450 false prophets, the same Elijah who stood in front of the, all the multitude and said, if Baal's God, go worship him. But if the true God is God, you worship him. You think it took courage? Yeah. But watch. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Stop. Go back. Go back. Thank you. Then Jezebel sent the message to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also. In other words, the way you killed those prophets yesterday, I'm going to kill you. Within the next 24 hours, you're a dead man. Verse 3. Read it loud with me. And when he saw that. What do you mean when he saw that? The messenger came saying, don't miss this detail. The messenger came saying, say it with me, the messenger came saying, but he saw. What did he see? He allowed that message to form a picture on the inside of his soul. I'm a dead man. And what did he do? And he arose and ran for his life. You just killed 450 prophets yesterday. You just stood up and took the chance. What if, God forbid, he didn't answer with fire? Here, 24 hours later, because he dropped his guard, he allowed the words to come in and settle in his soul, and he allowed those words to form a picture. And what does he do? He arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba. You know, that's far from where he was. Beersheba is a distance from Mount Carmel where that whole thing took place with the false prophets. Which belong, Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, Mount Carmel is in Israel. The two kingdoms are separated at this point. And he left his servant there. Next verse. But he went by himself a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. We'll talk about that. And he prayed that he might die. Do you see how fear, when it gets in your head, you start acting stupid? You start thinking stupid. You start thinking irrational. If you really wanted to die, why don't you stay where you were? She said she's going to kill you in 24 hours. Are you getting this? Fear, if, you, if it goes, 
if you're allowed to go full-blown, it makes you irrational. He prayed that he might die. He said, it is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Is there another one after this? Now, stay there. Stop there, because i got to wrap this up. Now, listen. He sits under a broom tree. A broom tree in the Middle East is a shrub. They, don't go, they grow wide, but they don't grow tall. So here he is, the mighty man of God, Mr. Prophet, Mr. Miracle Worker, the one who killed 450 prophets the day before. Now he, he's under a shrub like a little scared rabbit, hiding himself from the words of a demon-possessed, idol-worshiping queen because he allowed the picture to get in his soul. And he allowed it. God bless you. God bless you again. You want another one? You listening to me? You go to the doctors. He, he sends you for a test. I just had this happen recently. I went for, for, for uh, some kind of a test, sonogram or something like this. Okay. The next day, the doctor calls my wife. Oh. Did you love that one? The O? Oh. Um, he better come in. Well, she's, yeah, well, he's got an appointment with you next week. Oh, okay. Because, you know, he's going to have to go to this specialist and that specialist and the other specialist uh, because we see something here. Now, I got to live for a week with this guy's words hanging over my head. Oh. We, and then, worst of all, he tells my wife. Okay? So now I go back the next week. I walk into the office. Now, I, I know enough not to let this thing go full-blown, but let's not kid each other. I'm thinking about these words. Because my first thought is, I don't have time for this aggravation. I've got too many things to do, wasting time going to this doctor, that doctor, that doctor. So, so I walk in, and he goes, oh, that's really not that big of a deal. I'm like, if I wasn't saved... Forget about that. If I wasn't a pastor, even saved, I would have still went for this guy's juggler vein. You make me deal with these words for a whole week, and now you sit there and go, oh, this is really nothing. It's probably this, probably that, probably the other thing. But I see a little of this. I said, Doc, listen to me. Do you remember that I have a history from years ago of kidney stones? Oh, yeah. You went to school for eight years. I got to sit here, and I got to remind you that what you saw is probably the result of that from years ago. Do you see what I'm talking about? Now, thank God I knew enough not to let that picture develop in my head too much. But these are the kind of things we deal with all the time. I'm not going to go into the examples. You fill in your own examples. But you and I need to be very intentional. Now watch this now. Last thing, and I promise we're out of here. And you've got to promise me you leave as quickly as possible. <laughs> now again, I hate to keep saying this in 9 o'clock service, but there are people already that are looking for your parking spot, and I don't want them cursing you. Okay? Now watch. Listen to me. Watch. Now you promise me you're going to go read 1 Kings chapter 19. Yes or no? Yes. This side said Yes. Promise me you're going to read because I don't have time to go. To. What happens next after Mr. Big Prophet is now a little scared bunny underneath the bush under a shrub, God sends an angel. And the angel 
is a culinary expert. He cooks for Elijah, feeds him, gives him something to drink, and tells him, go to sleep. You listening to me? I can talk from, I can speak to you from personal experience. One of the greatest things you can do when you're in a full-blown panic attack, now thank God it's been many, it's been 26 years at least since I've had them, but listen to me. Those things don't fade from your memory very quickly. One of the greatest things you can do when you feel overwhelmed, I'm not talking about, you know, when you're doing good and you just think something's coming, but when you've you slipped, you let, the com- you let it come in, you let the picture form, now you're full-blown, the best thing you can do is go to sleep. What are you saying? You're shoving it in the devil's face because all he wants you to do, but, well, shouldn't I stay up all night praying? Yeah, go right ahead, because that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. Stay, stay up all night and crying out to God, and why me, and why me? Oh, my God, I can't believe this. It's happening again. He loves that. Do you remember the old Godzilla movies? I mean, the black and white, really stupid, with really foolish ones, where they try to kill Godzilla with the electric current, and he, he gets stronger. They thought they're going to kill him with electricity, and he gets stronger. When you stay up all night whining and complaining, oh, God, oh, God, I'm crying out to you, God. The devil goes, yeah, go ahead. Because he knows it's fear-based. It's not faith-based. So go ahead. Stay up all night whining and complaining. You're doing exactly what he wants you to do. Because while you're up all night whining, complaining, crying, you're not getting the rest that you need. So he allows Elijah to sleep. Elijah wakes up. He feeds him, makes him pancakes. Go read it gives him water to drink, and tells him to go back to sleep. This happens a few times. Go read chapter 19. Here's the point I want to make to you. Now, I'm not saying to do this all the time. What I'm saying now and sharing with you is when you're in the full-blown, overwhelmed attack, go to sleep. Watch this now. You read that. Elijah is not demonstrating one ounce of faith It's pure pity. I just want to die. I can't go on like this. And God's going, yeah, 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 go to sleep. (laughs) Watch this now. God sends an angel, not because of Elijah's faith, but because of the mercy of God. Listen to me. We're faith people. I understand that. And I know last night when I taught this, I could see some people's nose were getting out of joint. Like, oh, he should act in faith. Yeah, when you, wait till you're underneath the shrub like a little scared rabbit, and let's hear how you're going to talk. I'm talking about when you're full-blown, overwhelmed. The worst thing you could start doing is allowing the devil to go to you. Where's your faith? And how come you're not this? And why aren't you speaking the word? And why don't you call this one? And why don't you go read the Bible? And why don't you go light 16 candles? And why don't you go flip 20 rosary beads and all this other stuff? You stop it, shut that down, and go, Father, I am completely incapable here. I throw myself on your mercy, God. Just like you did for Elijah, do for me. I don't have any strength. Say, well, that's a horrible confession. Oh, I guess you haven't read the Psalms. Because David in the Psalms is constantly venting about what he's not and what he doesn't have. And God's mercy rescued him. And when you're full blown, and listen to me, if you have somebody in your life, The last thing they need to hear from you is, where's your faith? And why aren't you speaking the word? And why aren't you doing this? And how come you're not in church? And how come you're not doing this other thing? Stop that. They need the mercy of God. And when we're incapable, 
and we've been totally rendered paralyzed, you got the mercy of God that you can fall onto. And just like Elijah, doesn't demonstrate one ounce of faith, but God rescues him, charges him up, and sends him on and reveals his future to him. Go read the rest of the chapter. Was it because Elijah was a mighty man of faith? No, he was a mighty man of faith the day before when he confronted the false prophets. But he's spent now. Granted, he made a mistake. He allowed that picture to form inside him that he should have never. But you think God's going to abandon you because you made a mistake? You think God's going to make you suffer because you slipped and you didn't, you didn't keep your guard up and you didn't maintain your confession and you didn't do this and didn't do that, the other thing? When the heck has it ever been about us anyway? It's about the mercy of God. And there are times you come and you face things in life that you just got to go, I just don't know what to do, God. I can't see my way out of this. I'm just throwing myself on your mercy and watch what he does. He sent an angel to rescue Elijah. Amen? Amen. We're out of time majorly out of time. I know there's a time in the Bible that I forget who it was that gave command. Oh, Jesus, when he sent them to go get the colt, he said, don't salute anybody, don't say hello, just go do what I told you to do. (laughs) Go. (laughs) If you need prayer, come on up here. If not, go. Don't even talk to each other. Go get in your car, get out of the parking lot. God bless you.